Welcome to Insider's Guide to Energy Stories. Stories is an archival project where individuals from across the entire energy business share their unique experience. We'll hear firsthand accounts of what it's like to work in industry. You'll find out things that you didn't know, for it is impossible for one individual to know every element of the energy business. But our goal is to provide as clear a view as possible, and at the end of each of these interviews, that you have a unique vantage point that you didn't have at the beginning. If you have a unique story to tell, please don't hesitate to reach out to us and share your story on Insider's Guide to Energy Stories. For now, enjoy the episode. This edition of Insider's Guide to Energy Stories is brought to you by Fidactus. Hello, and welcome to the second episode of the Insider's Guide to Energy Stories podcast. I'm your host, Will Stevenson. Today, I'm joined by Oyen Talabi, a management consultant in the areas of energy, sustainability, and infrastructure. In this episode, Oyen tells me about how growing up in Nigeria influenced her initial plan to join the oil and gas sector, before a desire to have a more positive impact on the world drew her towards sustainable energy. And she explains why she thinks targets of net zero carbon emissions by 2050 are unrealistic for much of the developing world, including large parts of Africa. Enjoy the show. All right. Thanks. Uh, thanks very much for joining us. Um, please, would you um, introduce yourself uh, for us, for the audience? Thanks, Will. Thanks for inviting me on this. Hi, my name is Oyin Talabi. I am a senior consultant at Guidehouse, uh, which is a management consultancy which started off in um, America. Um, I sit in the energy and sustainability and infrastructure team. And um, yeah, that's a very short intro to myself. Okay, great. Yeah, um, great to have you. Uh, so I guess, um, you know, one, one of the first questions I want to ask is just, how did you end up in industry, uh, you know, in the energy industry? Um, what kind of sparked your interest? Um, uh, what got you here? Yeah, I mean, that. <laughs> I think that's an interesting question, because I guess what got me here is probably not the same reason as why I stayed. Um, so my background in um, chemical engineering, so I studied chemical engineering at university. Um, and I went into chemical engineering mainly because I thought I was going to go into oil and gas. So I grew up in Nigeria, which is obviously an oil producing country. One of the things that always, I guess, interested me and fascinated, or I was fascinated by was the fact that um, every time I came to the UK, for example, for holidays, there was like constant electricity and back home there wasn't. So that's kind of how my interest of energy and oil and gas kind of grew. Um, and I chose chemical engineering as um, the, the degree for that because I thought, you know what, I would understand how refining works. I'll go into oil and gas. And I mean, I did start off in oil and gas. So I did a year at a refinery, which was amazing experience. Like it was really fun. I learned so many things about crude units and all of that. And I think I finished that year thinking I really want to go into sustainability and I really want to look at renewable energy. And that's why I want my focus to be, which is why I said what I what I started off with isn't actually what I ended up staying for. Because right now my main passion and what motivates me is actually really the renewable side of things, achieving climate targets, um, reducing emissions. And that's how I'm still in here. So, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, what what happened in that year? Did you say this was a placement during university? So, yeah, so this yeah, it was a placement year. Um, so 
what, do you mean like why did I change my mind yeah or I guess yeah it, well yeah <laughs> um honestly I don't think there was one reason because I did leave that experience feeling really happy like I learned so much about just how refinery works um I think as an intern you expect not to get too much responsibility but that wasn't the case for me I actually got quite a lot of responsibility I got to go out inside I understood how like different units work I got to actually go into like one of the um catalytic cracker units like actually go inside and look at the trays and all of that so it was really exciting um but at this point I kind of got to the conclusion where I thought you know what I've I mean and this is a very personal view (laughs) because there's probably going to be a lot of people that don't agree with it but I just felt like oil and gas was very much um a bit of a dying market in terms of for for us to achieve our climate targets and the different goals and ambitions that we set ourselves, I just don't see how we don't move our um, generation from oil and gas focus to renewable energy. So for me, it was kind of looking more at what the future held for the different um, energy strands. And I just thought, you know, renewable energy is where it is at. Um, and also just in terms of climate goals and emission reduction, I just thought, you know, renewable energy is what's going to get us there. I don't think um, the oil and gas business is necessarily going to get us there. I mean, there's things like carbon capture and all of that, but I'm a big believer that if you don't emit the carbon, that's probably the better step to take as opposed to trying to neutralize it later on. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a, a kind of lively debate that you can have whether you put it out and bring it back or whether you just never put it out um yeah and i think this conversation will always happen in industry uh, which is why i said it's a very personal opinion but um yeah when when i look at all the evidence it, it seems to make sense to me anyways yeah yeah fair enough so was your intention initially to uh to kind of go into oil and gas um and then take that back home and and use it there back to back to Nigeria or or was the intention was that the kind of initial inspiration um I mean I don't think I actually ever really um thought like to the future what I thought I was going to do with that experience so I started off so at the point where I moved to the UK I moved to the UK with my family so um although I moved for university and um sixth form my family are also here. So I don't know if I always thought that I was going to go back to Nigeria, but I did always want whatever I worked in to have some form of influence in those markets, like in the developing markets, um, which I think my current job does to a certain extent. So as much as I didn't know if I was going to go into refining in Nigeria, I just wanted something that could impact um, accessibility to electricity generally in a lot of African countries. Okay. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, have you seen, so it seems like you've had this kind of, uh, gone through this kind of journey from, from kind of oil and gas to, to being much more motivated by renewables. Do you feel like that's mm-hmm. kind of reflected the market's opinion? Um, you know, to the people working around you, have they have they shifted in a similar way? Or do you think yours has been a kind of unique uh, journey? I think that's probably mixed. Um, so there's quite a few people that I know that 
worked at the company I worked at in oil and gas and they're still in oil and gas. So I don't think everyone has thought, okay, I want to uh, be the world savior. <laughs> I'm going to renewable energy. Um, and some people have shifted to renewable energy. So I think it's a, it's very much a mixed bag. And I mean, having said, like, although I said, I feel like oil and gas is a dying field. Um, it's important to note that if different countries are at different points of their sustainability journeys. So I think there's definitely countries where oil and gas is what they'll be using for a very long time before they can actually move to renewable energy because the initial target for them is to actually provide electricity to 100% of the population as opposed to actually reducing emissions. And I think that's very much the case in quite a lot of African countries, for example. Mm. So, um, I found that depending on where you are and what country you're working with, there's different solutions and different priorities for the different countries as well. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that GB uh, just kind of can afford to to focus on these um, more like sort of uh, finer details, you know, of the carbon yeah. intensity of electricity mm-hmm. when, um, you know, if economic development in other countries is being hindered by lack of access, yeah. then it really i wouldn't hold uh, you know using oil and gas or coal and uh, against anyone who who had no other access um, yeah exactly i mean oh, having said that i guess a lot of those countries are starting to look into microgrids and mini grids um and with those solutions they are looking at renewable energy um but a lot of countries still have like diesel generator backup because there's just no reliability um so yeah, I, I mean, I think it's it's kind of mixed because some countries obviously are at a stage where accessibility to electricity is great, so it just makes sense for them to try and reduce their emissions. And there's some countries where, although they would like to reduce emissions, it's a case of, well, actually 40% of our people, of the population, actually have access to electricity. So my real priority is to make sure that it, that becomes 100% as opposed to trying to reduce um, emissions. So. Yeah, it just depends on where you work or who you work with and um, where you're working. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So, uh, so was that your journey then? For, you, you went from university into this uh, management consultancy role, or, or were there were there steps in between? Um, yeah, there were, there were definitely steps in between. So, um, I had that one year placement, um, and then I went in to do a very short research program at Columbia University which was focused on electrolyzers, um, producing acid and base, but also hydrogen from electrolyzers, um, so 3D printed electrolyzers. And that was a really fun experience. One, because it was in New York, so I got to actually experience New York. (laughs) But also um, because I was working in one of the research labs that really focused on renewable energy and production of, um, of hydrogen. So I got to actually work with different people, understand what their projects were on. And I think that was a very good intro to renewable energy for me. And then I, after graduating from university, so this was also, um, it was an ex- almost like an exchange program at university. So mm-hmm. it was one semester abroad. So upon graduating in 2017, I then joined a company called Pure Happold, uh, which is an engineering consultancy. Um, and I was there for just under four years before I joined Guidehouse. Um, so I'm actually very new to Guidehouse. <laughs> Only joined about two months ago. 
Um, so in terms of my role at Bureau Hapo, that was, um, so I did sit in the energy team. So I worked as an energy engineer in the in the team. And so my role was really focused on on-site solutions. So there were loads of uh, district heating, district cooling projects, um, depending on the countries. Um, and that was everything from feasibility stage up until actual implementation. So we, I did a lot of hydraulic modeling, techno-economic modeling of district heating networks. Um, I guess another thing that I did towards the end of my time at Bureau Hapold was um, really looking at electric vehicle strategies. So understanding what the impact of charging EVs um, could be on the grid and how to kind of size transformers and substations for that with new development and existing development as well. So it was really interesting experience for me. Um, I think that really helped me understand different parts of energy as a whole but also just actual on-site solutions so going on site and seeing like pipes going to the ground which is a completely different part of energy to like oil and gas or what I'm currently doing now so it was really good experience I think um and I had a pretty amazing team as well great great uh and and you're you've been at Guidehouse just for a couple of months you say yeah. you enjoying it yeah yeah, it's been great. I mean, I'm still understanding the role, but um, I, it's been a really interesting opportunity for me. Um, so I guess, although I can't see what my projects are because of NDA agreements and all of that, um, so far, I have two main projects. Um, one is with a large-scale energy provider, um, which is global, and we're doing a carbon we're doing a carbon accounting exercise for them. So understanding what the scope one, two, and three emissions look like, um, and then also helping them set targets for for the future. So what they can achieve by 2030, if they can achieve a net zero target by 2050, and what that actually looks like in the practical sense. So what reduction measures actually have to be put in place for them to achieve some of these targets. So it's okay. quite interesting because I'm working with like large corporations um, and helping them one set targets, but also helping them achieve some of these targets that they mm. set. Um, and my other project is quite different because it really focuses on the implementation side of things so it's actually looking at each of their sites and saying this is how you're so they set a goal to um, reduce their or reach net zero um, electricity procurement by 2030 I believe so it's really understanding what they currently have in terms of their stock and how to make sure that they actually reach that goal um, so it's looking at different sites, understanding what's possible, where on-site solutions are possible, where we have to look at PPAs um, with off-site off um, suppliers. So it's it's a whole new world to me in some ways uh, because it's not district heating or district cooling or electric vehicles, but definitely really interesting. Yeah, yeah, it sounds really interesting. And it's yeah. a step out of the engineering world, right? Um yeah, it's well, actually, <laughs> it's quite interesting because um, I guess in my role, although it's managing consultancy, there is quite a lot of focus on the implementation side of things. So it is some engineering as well. So it's um, weirdly enough, I would probably say I'm using more of my chemical engineering degree in this role <laughs> than I did in my role with engineering consultancy. Right. Um, and that's just because I'm also working with process, um, process industries as well. Um, so some oil and gas um, 
some oil and gas industries and companies as well. So it means that understanding the systems and how they work is actually really useful. So um, yeah, I guess my time in oil and gas wasn't hasn't been put to waste, which is great. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Glad to hear it. Um, I always find it personally quite satisfying when I, even if it's not necessary, if I can just bring something out from from my undergrad studies. Um, you know, it makes me think that that all that money wasn't totally wasted. <laughs> I know, but there, there are definitely some things I want to stay uh, to stay in the past. Things like yeah, Unisim modeling and uh, understanding like how not how flare works, but like actually modeling a flare system. Yeah, those kind right. of things. I'm I'm happy for them to stay in the past. Honestly, <laughs> yeah, fair enough, fair um, enough. But I'll it's, keep it's good. <laughs> I know, same here. <laughs> um, but it's it's is good because um, I think it's a lot of these companies really like it when they can speak to someone that understands some of the processes. So in terms of decarbonizing the site, you're not just giving it to someone that doesn't really understand how these things work. It's it's someone that actually has potentially has worked in the field before. And so they understand what's realistic and what's just not realistic for them. So yeah, it's quite good. Okay, cool. And so you, you've come from, from a ChemEng background, but the, the people in your team are they are they similar is there a kind of uh, a requirement or or a focus in recruitment on people with a similar background to yours or, or uh, the people from all over the place um yeah people have different backgrounds um i think in management consulting that's probably very common so some people have an engineering background um so sometimes chemical engineering mechanical engineering um i think those are the main two actually no i know a civil engineer as well but then you also have people that have no background in engineering. So you have people that study economics, um, geography. So it's really very diverse. Um, and the company itself, I mean, I'm still I'm still learning all the different strands of the company. But um, there's the focus on the energy side of things. So you have the energy sustainability and infrastructure team. But you also have um, teams such as healthcare. Um, you have a team that works with financial institutions as well. So it's it's a really diverse company. Um, so in terms of background, everyone has completely different backgrounds. Okay. Yeah. Which makes it exciting because yeah. Um, yeah, it feels like I meet a new person <laughs> every day, and I'm like, oh my god, you work here as well. <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> so it, it's really interesting experience for me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. Good. Um, so yeah, I hear I hear that you're you know you're doing like interesting varied stuff, um, and it sounds like you're using your undergrad a lot. It sounds like you've you've got to like a really good place in your career. Um, mm-hmm. But one thing that I um, you know I sometimes wonder for myself, uh, you know, and for other people as well, um, is like you know if you could go back to the start and do something differently or if, uh, you know what what might you do differently if you could go back and um, either to get you where you are sooner or to get you somewhere else um, yeah that's a really interesting question and I don't even know that I've ever really thought about it um, I would I mean honestly I don't think I would do anything differently and the reason for that is I feel like the different things I've done in the past has prepared me for the current role I have. And that's probably likely to be the case in all my future roles, right? Um, so if I think about ChemEng, just the idea, like ChemEng is very focused on group work, project work. Um, so that the skills that you build during that 
degree, I think is really important. So even if you don't go into a ChemEng role, I think you still, those skills are still applicable and transferable regardless of what you do. Um, and then looking into like my role in oil and gas, I think that really prepared me for just the energy world as a whole, because in some ways it is still the basis of energy. It's, it's where we're starting, we started from. Um, so we can't kind of ignore where we started and the core of the energy business, right? As we moved and transitioned to this clean energy field. Um, and then looking at my time at Pure Happold, again, it was a great way for me to actually get a diverse range of what the energy sector looked like. So I came into it thinking oil and gas. <laughs> and I, I left Pure Happold thinking, oh my God, there's actually loads of different options. I mean, district heating is just a tiny subsection of energy which so many people in energy don't even know about so I feel like that job really gave me a more um, diverse and broad range of what actually goes on in industry um, in the energy market and if I look at my current job now it actually opens up um, that that range even more because in this role I feel like I could literally work with anyone <laughs> mm-hmm. energy or not energy related but because everyone is trying to achieve this target that they're setting themselves so um yeah I don't think I'll do anything differently because I just feel like all the experiences have been really relevant um and I mean I did have some like random um experiences before I actually went to uni or during uni time so I remember working at Lloyd's Pharmacy for like a two-week internship I remember working at an aquarium for about two weeks so it's all these random things but I think you always pick up one skill or the other from each of these experiences that you can then transfer into what you're currently doing yeah yeah that makes sense I think it's a super interesting point you raise about district heating being uh, a kind of area of energy that that people within energy don't even know um yeah I imagine there are tons of those little little niche sectors that people don't mm-hmm. know about however long you've spent in the industry um and especially given that it's an industry that's changing so quickly you could probably yeah. go forever swapping around roles in different technologies and just never really exhaust <laughs> the list um, yeah i mean and if you think about even like just looking at uh like district heating, which is currently like it's still really small, is a really small part of the energy market. But even in just that subsection, there's so many changes happening. Like a few years ago, there was a point where CHPs was like what everyone recommended for district heating is like, okay, you're just going to get a CHP engine, provide um, electricity and heat from the one engine. And that was the way to save carbon for most um, from from most um, development, and that that was what the policy said to actually put in place. Now a lot of people are talking about heat pumps, and heat pumps seem to be the way to go. So you're either doing air source heat pumps, ground source, um, water source, and CHVs are almost considered to be bad. <laughs> And you're actually yeah. trying to swap out the CHV engine. And this has probably happened within like the last five to 10 years. So even in district heating, which is so small, there's still so much changes happening. And I reckon in five, 10 years, there probably will be something that's new and shiny again. So yeah. yeah, I mean, one thing I really love about the industry is that it's just constantly changing and so dynamic. So it just keeps it interesting, really. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can relate to that. Is it an industry that you can see yourself staying in? Uh, are you? Do you feel wedded to it? I do. I mean, I just don't know what else I'd rather do. <laughs> and I think that's the easiest answer. Um, I, 
I really enjoy talking about it. Um, and I feel like I'm actually making a change um, for the better as well. So helping clients get to their targets, but also making making sure that their missions are actually going down and there's some form of environmental benefit to what I'm doing. So I feel like it's something that I probably will do for a very long time, um, especially because I also just just can't think of anything else I'd rather do. So <laughs> I'm here. To, I'm here to I figure something out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, do you think you know? Say say we we all pulled our collective finger out tomorrow and just just really dramatically tied down carbon emissions. Do you think that would reduce some of the appeal of the industry? Do you think that? Do you think that 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 target that kind of vision in 30 years it can always be 30 years away as well you know once we get to 2030 it'll be 2060 probably yeah um, instead of today's you know big 2050 target um mm-hmm. but do you think that your motivation would go away if that if that big target was accomplished and what does happen when we get to net zero honestly I think I will be amazed if we get net zero in my lifetime and I'm pretty young. (laughs) Um, And the reason why I say that is I think it's a realistic goal for certain countries um, and it's unrealistic for other countries. So if you look at the UK, for example, achieving net zero uh, targets is probably possible. I mean, um, once the large corporations um, get there, get their um, act together, um, set some goals, set some targets, put some measures in there to actually reduce carbon. I think it's possible when we ta- when we tackle things like um, heating, transport, so emissions and heating and transport and buildings generally, um, I think it is possible. Now, you may be able to achieve these goals in developing countries. However, when you look at countries um, in Africa, for example, where there are key target right now is actually um, creating accessibility to electricity. That's, I mean, one, I don't know that it's a fair target for them to actually reach net zero by 2050, (laughs) because when you look at the emissions, most of the emissions actually come from certain countries (laughs) and not so much from those countries, right? So whether it's fair to actually put the same ambition levels for all countries, I don't know. I do understand the global world and all of that but it's something that obviously would need to be tackled. And how we go about actually achieving that, because it's one thing to kind of say, as a country, everyone has to do this, but how do you knowledge share? So how are we able to take things that we've done in developing countries and apply the same thing in, sorry, in developed countries and apply the same thing in developing countries? So um, I think there would always be something to do. (laughs) Um, even if we were to reach the net zero carbon target, I'm sure there's a new target to be set somewhere. Whether it's a case of um, trying to reach zero emissions and actually neutralize any everything that has been um, emitted in the past as well, which I mean may be impossible, but I do think there's there's always something to do. Um, so in terms of the energy field not being as interested. Not sure that's possible for me anyways, in my lifetime. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think there will always be something to do. Yeah, I think that's an interesting take. Um, and I don't disagree with you at all. Um, it, it's ambitious enough for the UK to get to net zero by 2050. Um, so if you imagine countries that barely even have electricity right now, um, yeah. the idea of them, yeah, within our lifetime seems 
uh, if if not impossible, then you know a, a significant target to aim for throughout our careers. Yeah, um, yeah definitely. Yeah, definitely. and I, yeah, I suppose if you're w- willing to to work internationally, then yeah, there's there's tons to be done. Um, mm-hmm. Lessons to take from from various countries to others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. Um, where you know talked about targets over the next thirty years, but but you professionally and um, where do you see yourself being um if you kind of have a vision of where you'll be over the next 10 20 30 years um what does that look like yeah that uh sounds like a long time actually <laughs> well maybe it's not um i mean i definitely see myself in the energy field still um I don't, I don't actually know for sure. I think I definitely will be in energy. That's probably the one thing I can say. But where I'll be um, country-wise and even like sector-wise and, and in energy, I can't really say. I think um, I feel like with most things, my whatever plan I had for myself like five, 10 years ago has completely <laughs> gone, gone to waste and like I'm doing something completely different. Um, so at the moment, I think I'm just going with the flow. Uh, whatever is interesting to me, whenever it's interesting, I will probably try and jump into it. So at the moment, I think seeing as I've just started a new role, this is really exciting. Um, and I feel like challenging this role and I definitely still find it exciting. I feel like there's so much more to learn in this role because there's like so many different sub sectors of the energy team in guidehouse so i think at the point where i get bored with what i'm doing i probably will just go to another team (laughs) so yeah for for the next few years i definitely see myself in energy i just don't know where where in energy i'll be yeah fair enough it seems like it's uh it's worked for you so far so um yeah exactly (laughs) why why change a a good system Mm -hmm. yeah yeah um i i I don't know if this uh um sort of will resonate with you but um it it does for me uh and it's the question of um uh what what do your family and your friends kind of think you do uh I, i for some context i i sometimes kind of see energy as this kind of black box that everyone talks about um mm-hmm. but actually like people don't really um they don't know what i mean it's huge right and and yeah people in the industry don't understand it that well i don't think um mm-hmm. not necessarily anyway yeah um so yeah do, do you have any kind of interesting <laughs> take on like what, what your friends and family think you do um so i i mean to a certain extent i think most of them have a rough idea of what I do so they're like oh she um helps reduce carbon emissions in her projects which I mean is not far from truth because I've also done engineering a lot of people um sometimes don't fully understand what engineering is and understand the fact that engineering is actually quite broad so people are like you're an engineer so you can do anything so someone could be like how do I fix it? And I'm like, well, <laughs> chemical engineering doesn't actually address that. So I can't really mm. help you. So there is a bit of that where it's just like you have that engineer word and everyone believes you can fix any and everything. 
um, in terms of the energy side of things, I think people are more like, oh, okay. So if my light bulb goes off, then you probably know why it's gone off. And I'm like, actually, I've never really done that type of energy as well. So I completely agree that people don't fully understand <laughs> what energy is or what engineering is. But to a certain extent, I think the the broad message is, okay, everyone kind of gets to this point where they believe that we need to reduce carbon emissions. So they're just like, yeah, she, she helps achieve that goal. I don't know how she does it, but something she does <laughs> potentially helps with that. And that's yeah. what she says anyway. So I believe her. I'm like, okay, thanks. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so sort of a question about about uh and and you know maybe it's it's hard for you to answer about your current role but maybe at, at your past role you could sort of draw draw on that experience so wondering what, what your feeling was about what motivates um you know it sounds like you're quite strongly motivated by the way that energy is so dynamic and uh reducing carbon and having that positive impact on, on the world um mm-hmm. Do you, do you feel like that's shared with most of the colleagues you've had in the industry? Um, and and if not, then like, would you tell us about that? I would say most people I've worked with um, share a similar, or well, yeah, a similar reason for being in the field. Um, I know some people have definitely like stumbled into it, um, but a lot of people have this passion to either contribute to um, climate targets um, and reduce emissions whatever way they can and actually try to be part of that driving force and be part of that change. And I think that's what probably motivates a lot of people that I have worked with in the past. Um, At the point where I worked in oil and gas, I'll probably say that was more focused on um, actually just just a passion for process engineering and a passion for just understanding how things worked in a refinery um so i mean i wouldn't say that my my motivation is very different to a lot of people if i'm being honest um i mean there there, there's a few things right there is the like passion for energy but there's also the passion for diversity and one thing i'm obviously really passionate about is just diversity in the field um and that's in energy that's in engineering as a whole so that sometimes is also my motivation is the fact that I want a a typical engineer to look like anyone I don't want it to be a standard person that you can just drop on paper who looks the same Um, I want it to be anyone any and everyone you don't have to have a hat hat to be an engineer you could work in an office and be an engineer right Um, so part of my motivation is also just um creating a different face for engineering or for energy and I think that's been quite good for me in my career and it's been a really good way to actually motivate other people to get into engineering that may not necessarily think that it's a pathway for them yeah yeah so so, yeah what has your experience been um with diversity or or potentially the lack thereof um Mm -hmm. in both engineering and energy I mean yeah there's there's definitely quite a lot of work to be done um in the field I would say 
more companies are increasingly being aware of it and more companies are starting to actually take action to make change, whether that is actually going into schools to talk about the different types of engineering, because if so, sometimes you think about engineering and you think, okay, it's really just um, mechanical, chemical, civil engineering. Um, and there's one other one, I can't remember what the big four, the uh, camera, the fourth one is, but um, is actually understand. Um, electronic? Maybe electronic. Maybe like, yeah, I think it's electronic. I think electrical. Um, But it's actually understanding that engineering is really broad. So you can do fire, you could do water engineering, you could do acoustic engineering, um, facade. So it's it's a whole broad range and uh, trying to actually explain that there's different types of engineering. So there's usually something for everyone. and then also the route into engineering, because a lot of people think it has to be a degree and nothing else. But actually, there's different ways to get into engineering. You could do an apprentice, apprenticeship. Um, you could um, intern somewhere, and that's how you get into it. I mean, I know people that have studied geography and are now working as engineers. So I think it's it's really important to understand that there's, there's a whole range of things to do in engineering. Um, but in terms of diversity at the moment, I would say it's, it's still very low. I mean, if you think about some of the UK statistics in engineering, I think it's like about 12% of UK engineers are women and um, about, I think it's about 1% of that. That's actually people from a black or Asian minority ethnic background. So it's 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 very small. <laughs> and yeah. if you were to then do the percentage of um, black women, for example, in engineering in the UK, that's probably like less than 0.5%. So um, it's, it's very small, but I think a lot of industries of science recognize that and a lot of different initiatives are being put in place to actually make sure that they're actively doing something to increase the diversity in engineering and in energy as a whole as well. Um, I guess just kind of a focus on engineering, going to the energy side of things. Um, I think most of the comments are probably still applicable to energy. Um, it's still not very diverse. And so potentially maybe slightly more than engineering. Um, and that's just because energy is just so broad. So you don't have to go into engineering to be um, in energy. There's just different types yeah. of jobs in energy. And you can be like a management consultant that's in, in uh, that's in energy. And generally those fields are, for example, more diverse. So maybe energy is slightly more diverse, but still not anywhere we should be. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I hear that. Um, so do you think that's the best the best approach is to is to start young and get people before they kind of commit to educational decisions kind of aware of these things and do you think it'll naturally kind of even out um or do you think there are other measures as well that need um, to be taken yeah that like yeah there's definitely other measures i mean there's one part which is obviously trying to motivate and inspire younger children to get into engineering or energy but then there's also retaining your current staff um, and ensuring that you're putting things in place to make your environment an inclusive workforce for everyone, right? So it's you could get people into engineering, but if you can't retain them, then you have no real effect on your diversity, right? So it's putting things in place to make sure that 
it uh it is an inclusive place to work for everyone regardless of what your background is or what your ability is or what your um what your gender is um so it's yeah it's it's really the whole broad broad range of things yeah and so i mean uh for for any you know for podcast listeners who um you know haven't haven't guessed um uh you know you're you're a you're a black woman in in energy and engineering um do you see uh your your role as as just kind of being being a face and being a, a presence or or does your does your role go beyond that and are there kind of active measures you're you're taking mm-hmm. well i mean so i guess for me personally it's something i'm actually interested in because sometimes what happens is um i think uh because you're for example because i'm a black woman is almost expected <laughs> Um, which I don't think should ever be the case. So some people, so some mm. of my friends would say, "Oh, they were signed up to an inclusion network without their consent, just because they're black and they ex- they're almost expected to want to solve issues to do with diversity, right?" Right. Um, so I don't think that should be the case, and everyone should really be opting into it as opposed to having to opt out, right? But I'm actually very passionate about it. So it's something that I would always volunteer for. But I think it's more than being a face. I think um, it's being a face and a voice, <laughs> a voice to the younger generation to actually say this is great and you should definitely get into it. But then also a voice in my current industry to say you need to do better. Like mm-hmm. you need to put this in place. You need to have a group where people feel comfortable to talk about these things. You need to have um, a credible system that you're able to actually hold yourself accountable for certain things. Um, and you have to have um, a zero tolerance policy, for example, which I think is really important and sometimes not necessarily put in place or undervalued um, so that people can actually talk about their experiences at work and um, there's actually repercussions for any actions that, for example, racist behavior in the workplace, like, so right. things need to be put in place. So I think in terms of my role, it's, it's not so much just being a face because sometimes, yeah, it's great for uh, recruiting purposes. <laughs> I may be right. a face on a website, but it's more than that. It's actually saying, well, if you are going to promote yourself and um, promote yourself as an inclusive employer, you have to put things in place to retain the staff so you're not lying to people really. So yeah, that's that's kind of what I see my role as mm. um trying to hold my employers accountable. Yeah, great. I'm sure there is a there's a great, you know, power for other um, you know, people coming up in the industry who might look or uh, you know, look like you or have similar yeah. experiences to you who, you know, seeing people um in a role such as yours might yeah. um might help them feel like the industry is for them as well um yeah i mean i hope so i definitely i definitely hope so i think um the industry is is for every and anyone um and yeah sometimes there are obviously barriers to getting in for different reasons but it's it's trying to make sure that those barriers don't stop you from trying um and one thing i think is really important is just reaching out to people um i have people reach out to me on linkedin randomly saying oh i'm really interested in this i would like to get into it but i want to know a bit more um and i have a discussion about my current role and they're like oh yeah this is great okay yeah i'll apply for it at university or i'll try and get an internship so it's almost like paying it forward as well so making sure 
well, for me anyways, making sure that I'm available where possible to actually talk to people about these things um, and try to kind of bridge the gap where possible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's really great. Um, yeah, yeah. Thank, I mean, thanks for doing that work because I think it's, it's like only, the industry is only better for, um, for being more diverse and um, yeah, it needs people people who are passionate about it to kind of um, bring it along as soon as possible. Um, yeah. So that's, that's really great. Um, I don't, I don't think I have any more questions <laughs> to ask. I think that's like a, that's like a lovely sort of stopping point. I think um, unless you have anything else that you think um, that you, you'd like to say or, or kind of get off your chest, but um, this has no, been great. Particularly. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. no, I've really enjoyed this. Um, and I guess just shout out to you and your team for doing this, because as you said, um, sometimes you, you don't really know the face behind who's talking. And sometimes it's very easy to focus on what your current role is without really knowing the person and how they go into energy and what their motivations are behind it. So I really think that this whole podcast is a really cool idea. I'm glad you think so. I'm glad you think so. 